Today's scripture reading comes from 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made to manifest us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Walking in the light, this is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, and while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the right light as He is, the, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us, us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's welcome Missionary Peter Kim. Hi. Um, all right. Let's see. So we just read the scripture. Um, let's see. Let's look at the next next slide. Actually. Uh, yes. So I actually, um, Chris and I have been on a journey, and we left um, China in September. So if you stick around, you could talk here about why we had to leave China and and what God is doing in our hearts. But um, for the sermon part, what I wanted to do is share. A portion of our vision and um, this I tried to draw something that kind of encapsulates our vision and if you can see um, we have worship because we really believe in just God wanting to raise up people who worship him and scripture is the foundation but the three aspects of our vision that we um, God's just been laying in our hearts for a time is um, uh, the top you see embrace for healing what that really means is that when God embraces us when we experience God's embrace of us we actually experience healing it could be um, physical healing, but it also could be inner healing, healing of our hearts. And the experience of being embraced by God heals us. And then also we're empowered with authority. What it means is that when Jesus was on earth, people were surprised at the authority that he carried as he spoke. And he transfers that authority that he has to us. And that we can walk in the same kind of authority that Jesus has. So that's what we mean by that. The third one, which we're going to talk about today, is transform for love. So transform from love. We're just going to zoom in in that one aspect of our vision. And if you look at that, um, what we mean by that is, you know, love can be kind of this, you know, just term that has a lot of emotional things. But what what we mean by that is uh, repentance, forgiveness, and embrace. So transformed for repentance, forgiveness, and embrace. And this becomes our lifestyle. This is what our heart is to see people grow in this way. And so if you look at our text, um, if you look at our text, let's look at our text on the next slide. Um, it's, a little, it's a little long, but we already read it. But the word fellowship, let's look at the next slide. The word fellowship comes up, comes up four times in just our text. And um, the word fellowship in the New Testament appears, I think, about 17 or 18 times. So for John, he's saying this is really important for first uh, what he's saying. 
The word fellowship uh, has a connotation of things like communion or unity or being together or sharing, sharing in our resources, intimacy. Uh, it's a bond. It's a bond. And you feel accepted and you experience embrace and fellowship. It's not just about hanging out. It's actually an experience of embrace. And we like the word embrace. Uh, in, our, in our vision, we said um, we talk about embrace, uh, forgiveness, Repentance, forgiveness, and embrace. We like the word embrace because in our culture, people don't really understand what fellowship means, but we understand embrace. We understand what embrace is. And I want to just let's look at the next few slides. So embrace, okay, next one, next one, next one, next one. Okay, let's stop here. Um, so I just want to show you some pictures of embrace because we understand embrace. We understand what it means to give each other embrace. And we, in our hearts, we know we're created for this. This is something that's very important to us. We want intimacy and relationship. We want to know what it is to be embraced in our, in every area of our relationship, whether it's to our parents, whether it's to our immediate family, whether it's to our neighbors, and, and just we want to experience a kind of embrace, an intimacy, uh, a bond, a peace. And we know this is uh, something that we desire because when, when, there's, when it's not there, when there's tension or when there is something that's hurtful said between a husband or a wife or a parent and child, uh, we know something is wrong. And we know, we know that when there's like hate crime, we know when there's like all these bad things happening in our society, we know something is wrong. There's not, it's the absence of embrace. It's the absence of embrace. So we know that something about embrace is right. So let's look at the next slide. So distance is the opposite of embrace, and we know that we've all experienced distance in some areas of our relationships, and we know that something is wrong and when, when there's distance. Um, and God created us for embrace. Um, he created us to have fellowship with Him, with God. And this is where it starts. So it starts with our embrace, have being embraced by God. And then from there, when we experience embrace from God, we actually get unleashed to embrace others around us. So verse 3 says, Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So that's verse 3. What, what he's saying is that we are living from a place of being embraced, of being embraced by God, a fellowship with God. We're in that place. So let's look at the, let's look at the next slide. Um, oh, that's another picture of distance. It happens societally. Okay, let's look at the. So this is uh, Rembrandt's Prodigal Son. You might have, some of you might have um, seen this picture or uh, read books about it or whatever. Um, and this painting has been very um, important for me as I, in the journey of my faith. And um, the, the Prodigal Son story is basically a child takes the wealth of, of asks for the wealth of the um, family and runs away and kind of like wastes it all and comes back. And this is when he comes back, you can see that he's like in raggedy clothes, his, one of his shoes has fallen off. And you see the father still welcoming him back with an embrace. With an embrace. And you, and the reason why I wanted to, I wanted to show you this picture is because I wanted to do a short exercise and, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you guys, you don't have to do it yet, I'm going to ask you guys to just close your eyes for about 30 seconds. And when you close your eyes, what I want you to do is, what you to do is I want you to imagine yourself in the position of the child. So imagine God, because this is a story that Jesus was talking to us about the heart of God. So imagine God embracing you, okay, embracing you. Imagine what he would say. Imagine what he would say as he embraces you. Okay, imagine how it would feel 
when he embraces you. So you can see in this painting, you see his, uh, the, the father's large hands over his shoulders. Um, just put yourself in that situation and see what, see how you, how you feel and what God would say. Okay? So I'm going to give you about, I don't know, 20 to 30 seconds, not too long, but just take a look at this picture one more time and then close your eyes for about 20 to 30 seconds. Okay, open your eyes. Um, I wonder what kind of how that experience felt for you. I wonder if you heard the father say things like, welcome my child, and come if you're thirsty, come if you're tired or weary. I love you, I love you. You're my valuable son. You're my precious and beautiful daughter. See, these are words that God says over and over again in scripture to us, and these are words that he does say to us. Um, but you know, I think some of us, um, and at least in the background that I grew up in, experiences like that feel too maybe a little bit new age or a little bit too feeling based. Um, but what we just did was we took a truth from scripture and then we wrote it into our hearts. That's kind of what we did. And we do this all the time. When we sing worship songs, that's kind of what we do. When we sing worship songs, we're proclaiming truths that we know is derived from scripture, and then we're proclaiming it into our hearts, into our imagination. And we could do this with scripture too. And this actually was, um, because what the reason why this is important is because we live in a world of lies. A lot of lies get told to us, things like, you're ugly, or you're incompetent, or you're not good enough, or no one loves you. Um, no one cares about you. You're a failure. See, these lies get put into our heads, into our hearts. And, and these lies are not just about us. It's actually about God too. Like, God doesn't care. He's too far away. He's not real. God doesn't love you. So these lies are spoken to us from ourselves and from our society over and over again. And they get put on repeat. And they start consuming us. And we start believing these lies. So what we need to do is we need to replace these lies with truths. Uh, truths from God's word. And we need to experience these truths. And one way to do it, you know, one way we can do it is do things like what we just did through this imagination, uh, putting ourselves in the, in the, in the stories of the Bible and seeing what God will say to us. And so, uh, one story, I was in, um, when we were in China, we had other, uh, missionary friends and, um, I got into this, discussion was a little bit, it wasn't heated, but it was kind of like a not-so-friendly discussion with another um, missionary. And it, the ir- ironic thing is about a theological issue. Um, and so, af- but the thing is, after we had this discussion, um, it started consuming me about how that person was wrong and how I was right. That it started consuming me so much that I started judging the other person about why do you think this way and what's wrong with them and and the and then 
And then to the point where I felt so guilty because I knew it was sinful. It wasn't, it wasn't a loving thing to do. But the problem was, is I couldn't get myself out of it. That's the problem. I couldn't, I couldn't remove myself and say, okay, God forgives me, God loves him and God loves me. And so I could just kind of remove myself from it and come out. But I, it's just impossible because my mind was consumed with these lies and ways in which I was kind of putting the other person down in order to put myself up. Um, and, and what, what helped me over time was actually what we just did, that one painting. I started meditating on that painting and the truth of God's word. And I started putting myself in the place of God's embrace every day because that's the truth of how we're embraced by God and how he embraces me and how he embraces the other person that I was in this discussion with. And it was that that actually, um, when I let the truth penetrate, not just I knew the truth, but when it penetrated into my heart, I had the power and the, and the strength to extend forgiveness to him, to extend uh, receive God's forgiveness for me, and not and and get out of the cycle of thinking all these negative thoughts. Um, so it's a really I feel like it's a really powerful way in which we can engage with God. Um, so where we take the truth from from our head knowledge and put it into our hearts. And again, we do this with worship all the time, and we could also do it with scripture. And so this is where we start. We experience God's embrace of us, but that's not where it ends. So verse 7, I think verse 7, it's a little small, but I have it in red there. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us, purifies us from all sins. So this is kind of our main verse for today. Um, As we experience the embrace of God, we walk in the light, and we embrace one another. We have fellowship with God, and from there, we have the power to experience true fellowship with one another. So what does this mean for our families? You know, what does this mean in our church? What does this mean in the societies that we live in, the communities that we live in? What I believe John is saying is he's talking about, uh, he's talking about a lifestyle of truth, a lifestyle of truth, a lifestyle of being in the light, which is walking in the truth, Verse 8 says, if you claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So this lifestyle of truth is about repentance, it's about forgiveness, and it's about fellowship, it's about embrace. Repentance, forgiveness, embrace. So this cycle has to be put on repeat in our hearts all the time. Repent, forgive, embrace. Repent, forgive, embrace. Repent, forgive, embrace. It's like repeat. It has to happen continually all the time in us because this is what it means to live in the truth. If you claim we have not sinned, we may come out to be a liar. So we, we have sinned. We are sinners. But if we repent, He forgives us and cleanses us, uh, purifies us from all sins. So repent, forgive, embrace. So um, what I want to do is spend a little bit of time talking about repentance and then spend a little bit of time talking about forgiveness. No, uh, embrace. We're talking about embrace, repentance, and forgiveness. Um, James five sixteen says, "Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other." It says, "Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed, so that you may be healed." So what James is saying is that you confess your sins, you repent, you pray for each other, and then you experience healing. Uh, so what is repentance? I want I want to kind of go on the flip side and talk about the enemy of repent, repentance, which is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. So what self-righteousness is, self-righteous people are fixated on right 
and wrong, or their version of right and wrong. They judge people by their standards and generally believe that they're in the right while others are in the wrong. So they're self-righteous, so self-righteous. You know, we see this in the Pharisees a lot, and who say to Jesus things like, "Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands, dirty hands?" So the, we see the Pharisees saying that in Mark seven, they were self-righteous. They had a standard by which they judged others who were not right, uh, who were wrong, and what where they were in the right. So they were fixated on it. They're fixated on right and wrong. But we see this in our own hearts too. I mean, when we have fights with people, kind of arguments with people who are close to us, maybe our spouse or uh, maybe our close friends, and we can't stop thinking about how we are right and the other person is wrong. In fact, our rightness and their wrongness starts consuming our thoughts. This is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the enemy of repentance because the self-righteous become consumed with the speck in the other person's eye when there's a log in our own eye, that's a, that's a um, parable. Um, the self-righteous feel entitled to feel this way. So the self-righteous feel entitled to feel this way because to judge others because they say, even if I did something wrong, the other person did something worse. Or they started it, so they deserve it. So these are kind of comments that we, we know it. I mean, a lot of us have said it. Um, and this is the heart of the self-righteous. And so repentance is really far from the uh, heart of the self-righteous. Um, and it brings distance, not embrace. So on the surface, you know, self-righteousness looks like pride. That's what it looks like. On the surface, it looks like pride. But if you dig deeper, dig deeper, it's actually insecurity. So the Pharisees, because they have never, see, they have never experienced the embrace of a good father, a good father who embraces them. They've never experienced that. They found other ways to feel significant and important, which is the strict obedience to the law. Okay? That's how they feel important. Strict obedience to the law. If the law falls apart, they fall apart. It's deep insecurity because it's their standard, if their standard of righteousness or rightness falls apart, then they fall apart. So their lives become meaningless if the law falls apart. And so this is where the insecurity comes in. And this is why for us, we, our experience of God's embrace is so important because it gives us that deep sense of security and love so that we have the power to not be consumed with right and wrong like the Pharisees. So instead of letting judgment and condemnation fill our hearts and consume us so that we can't get out of it, we enter quickly into repenting of what we did wrong and forgiving other people. And we do this because we derive our self-worth not in being right and wrong, but in being embraced by a good father. So if self-righteousness okay, is the enemy of repentance, then what does repentance look like? I think what repentance looks like is that you look at the hurt that you've caused in the other person or the wrong that you have done to the other person and with sorrow, and you, know, you, just, you confess your wrong. You never justify it. You never justify it. You never say, it's because you did this to me that I did this to you. Or you never say, I'm sorry, but you, know, you, you, you just kind of justify why you did something wrong. Uh, it's never justified. Any hurt that you cause, we cause to other people cannot be justified. Um, and repentance looks like this looks this way because it's about love. It's about love. It's not about self-justification, 
which is inward focused. It's about love, which is outward focused. Um, it's not focused on ourselves. Because if you focus on ourselves, we, we might say, now you have to confess to me, or you have to say I'm sorry to me, you have to apologize to me. So this is all me focused, right? True repentance looks outward and sees with sorrow the pain that we cause on other people, and it becomes other focused. Um, this requires deep humility and a deep sense of security. Security. Uh, the power to do this can only come from God. It cannot come from our just anything else. It has to come from God as He strips away of uh, any insecure need to be self-righteous, to be right, and gives us the power to be humble. Um, so we talked a little bit about embrace and um, repentance. Let me say a little bit about forgiveness. Uh, Matthew 18, I don't think I have this up, but Matthew 18, Jesus, the disciples asked you, disciples asked, come up to Jesus and says, how many times should we forgive, um, someone who sins against me, someone who does wrong against me? And Jesus says, 77 times. Which basically means, always. Always forgive. Always forgive. It's limitless. And then Jesus shares the story about this, servant who goes to this king and the servant has this huge debt. He can never pay it. Life, life, you know, whole life he feared to make money. He could never repay it. And the king uh, has mercy on the servant and forgives him and just, you know, just says, okay, um, you're forgiven of your debt. And then the servant goes to someone else who owes that servant a little bit of money and the servant says, you have to pay it to me. And he you know, he forces that person to, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, forgive that person of their debt. And this is the parable of the ungrateful servant that Jesus tells. The idea is that God's forgiven us so much. He's forgiven us so much, so we cannot be ungrateful. Jesus is telling us that we have to live a lifestyle, a lifestyle of forgiving others over and over and over again. So what does forgiveness look like? So forgiveness has a cost. I think this is important to know. Forgiveness has a cost. So it's not about just letting things slide or, you know, oh yeah, they did it again. I'm just going to let it slide. I'm just going to let it slide. Um, it's not about that. It's, it, there's a cost to forgiveness. The, when we look at the way that God uh, forgives us, you know, First John 1-7 says, And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sins. The blood of Jesus is a cost. It was the blood of Jesus. So when God forgives us, I believe he does three things. First, I believe he declares that the sin was horribly wrong. It was wrong. You can't just ignore it. You can't just like, you know, put it under the rug or whatever that saying is. It's, it was wrong. The cross shows us that every sin is an offense, is offensive and cannot be ignored. There's a cost. And for God, that co- for God, that cost was the life and the blood of His own Son. Number two, what He does is He, you know, declares that the sin was wrong, and then He removes the guilt of that sin from us. So Psalm one hundred three twelve says, "As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our sins from us." So He removes the sins from us. And number three, so this is important. The third one is He chooses to forget chooses to forget. Jeremiah thirty one thirty four says, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Remember their sins no more. And the famous love passage in 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Love keeps no record of wrong. So no record of wrong. 
Remember their sins no more. No record of wrong. So all three are important. And I want to give an example. So in our family, in, with Carissa, my wife and I, um, let's say we hit a very stressful situation. Something's happened to the family, maybe with the kids, and it's stressful, something's very stressful. Uh, we handle it very differently. So different personalities, different family upbringing, we just handle it very differently. For Carissa, she has a tendency to escape. So her coping mechanism is escape. So she... Um, she wants to be alone. She wants to get away. And sometimes she just wants to sleep it off. That's her coping mechanism. For me, I have a different coping mechanism. I just want to like, kind of like bulldoze through it and get, you know, just get rid of it, whatever that stressful situation is. And um, I want to solve it. So both are coping mechanisms. And for both of us, you know, we have a need to just resolve the stress, whatever the stress is in our hearts, but we have very different ways of coping. So let's say we had a stressful situation, something happened, and, you know, it's, and Carissa says, just let me sleep, I'm tired, I need time alone. So that's, that's what she might say. And then I might say, what are you doing? Why are you leaving me alone with the kids and running off? This is a, it's like very stressful. Let's just get through this. Let's just figure this out. And then she says, can't you just let me sleep? You never let me just rest. And then I might say, why are you running away? Just pick yourself up. Let's just get through this. And so this conversation goes on, and you can kind of see uh, how we are sinning against each other because we're just thinking about our own, our own, our own needs. Uh, and then we start thinking that the other person is deeply selfish. So both of us are thinking the same thing: the other person is selfish. Um, she thinks I don't see her need for rest, and I think she's just abandoning me with the kids. And so you see the principle of the speck and the log in our eyes. Um, and then, but let's say we get to a place where we confess or we see what we did wrong and say, please forgive me. I recognize what I did wrong. And, you know, we, we, we'll go through that forgiveness um, where we recognize those things. We remove the guilt from each other. Now here's the hard part. The hard part in forgiveness is uh, and the way that God, if you want to imitate the way that God forgives us, the hard part is in forgetting. Because love keeps no record of wrong. What this means is that I must not let this characteristic of Carissa affect how I view her going forward. So I must not think of her as, uh, label her, you know, label her as a selfish person who is weak and who copes by escaping. And then Carissa must not choose to label me as a control freak who doesn't love her enough to rest. So these are labels that we can place on each other and it starts impacting how we view the other person going forward. And the more we start labeling each other like this, the more we are keeping a record of wrong. And this gets further away from the heart of forgiveness that God gives to us, and we become more like the ungrateful servant. We start counting the debt that we have against each other, even when all of our debts have been forgiven. So how do we choose to forget? And I believe, um, for me, I believe this is how. Uh, when we think of the other person, so what we do is we have to decide to fill our minds not with all their flaws and all their sins, all the ways that they have hurt us, all the ways that they lack, but we fill our minds with the image of them covered in the blood of Jesus and the beautiful person that God is creating them to become, to be. And then when we, 
after we, when we do, as we do that, we choose to serve them. We go lower. We serve. We go lower. We choose to think of them in the ways that they reflect the image of God. Image of God. Not in the way that they re- might reflect in our minds at the time as the image of the devil. You know, we think, oh, they're so horrible. They, you know, why did they do this? We start thinking about all the ways that we, they might reflect sin and brokenness. And we start thinking about them, just filling our minds with how, might, how they reflect the image of God. And we serve them so they can reflect the image of God more and more. So we go lower. And this is what, I believe this is the way, because this, I believe this is what God does for us. He removes our sins from us and forgets them. And when He sees us, He sees us washed in the blood of Jesus. You know, righteous, deeply lovable. And when he's, and then what he does is he sees us this way, so, and then he serves us so that we become more and more like the image of Jesus. That's what God does for us. And the same things we have to practice doing the same things in our own hearts and our own minds as we interact with one another. But what if they keep doing the same thing? What if it kind of happens over and over again? Um, how many times should I forgive them? And Jesus says 77 times. And, to, and it sounds impossible to us, and it also sounded impossible to the disciples when Jesus said it, but nothing is impossible with God. And he, he gives us that power by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us to live this lifestyle of forgiveness. And this is the only way. If we want to experience true embrace in our relationships, this is the only way. Through repentance, through forgiveness, and through embrace by the power of the Spirit. Um, I want to just kind of share a few thoughts on maybe application. Um, we already talked about family. A lot of my illustrations would have to do with family and close relationships. Um, it's really, I think the main thing is with this is don't get fixated on who's right and who's wrong. That's the self-righteous, you know, self-righteous. And, you know, I, yeah, and maybe go home. Don't say to your spouse, you know, you're being self-righteous again. You know, that's that's also self-righteous. Um, we choose repentance. You know, we choose repentance. What's more important than being right and wrong is how we love each other, how we go lower, how we serve, how we go lower. And we could do this with our children too. I feel like this is very important that as we teach our children how to embrace, how to forgive, how to repent, um, we, as parents, if you're a parent, we might do things sometimes to our children that we regret. And it's important that we model a lifestyle of repentance, uh, of asking them for forgiveness and uh, embracing. I thought about you know, our local community, maybe our church, you know, your church here, um, the local community that you are involved in, the Christian community sometimes. And, um, and I thought, you know, in many ways, living... Walking in the light, walking in the way of truth, walking by putting the cross at the center of the community, right? Putting the cross. The cross is a, is a place of repentance, forgiveness, and embrace. So, but it, what, in a community, um, that, at least in the communities that I grew up in, the, in the Christian um, churches I grew up with, it, it was very unusual and strange for any person to confess their sins to each other. And we hide them like Adam and Eve did um, before God because we're afraid of being found out 
and afraid of being found out maybe how dirty we are or how sinful we are. But James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. So it needs to become, an, I mean, it will always feel unnatural, but it needs to become more common in the church context for us to experience, embrace as a community. And um, another story, while we were in China, we had teammates, and um, our teammates, and we were very, I would say, just very different people. Uh, especially when it came to parental parenting styles, and we just parented very differently. I don't want to get into details, but it created a lot of conflict in our in our in our relationship, and in our because um, in the, in the mission field, we uh, where we were, there's not that many other foreigners um, that we connected with. Uh, in our whole city, there were maybe five foreign families. So you know, whoever was there, they're gonna be with us and very close to us. But we hit this. So, the conflict was so strong that we contemplated even leaving the field just to get away from that kind of conflict where we felt. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of judgmental thoughts going through our heads about how, again, how other other people were wrong and we were right and they shouldn't be doing this to us or these kids shouldn't be doing this to our kids and all that kind of stuff. All these things were going through our heads and um, it reached a point where it was just too intense. And we... Um, but we felt convicted by God to bring this before our teammates. And, and our, the conviction was that, you know, we, we can't come in an accusatory way. Uh, we have to come with repentant hearts. So what happened was, um, Chris and I, we came before them, and the first thing we did was repent. We asked them for forgiveness for the ways that we have judged them and, and, um, and that, you know, that was by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we, this wasn't something that, uh, that was in our hearts for a while. What was in our hearts for a while was more judgmental thoughts and things like that. But for God led us to have a heart change when we were about to approach them and say, approach them with repentance and just leave it there and see what they do. And because of that, our relationship got so much stronger, but we had to go through that. We had to go through that. And every community, every community, I could tell you, even here, every community has to go through that kind of um, forgiveness, of repentance, and to get to the embrace. Um, so that's a challenge for us as a, for, for us as a um, community. Uh, one other aspect of application um, as we think about like larger society that we live in, maybe our city, maybe even our country, uh, what does living a lifestyle of repentance, forgiveness, embrace, uh, what does that mean as Christians when it comes to relating to the society around us? This is a large question, a huge question, I don't have time, but I, I, believe, I believe as Christians we reflect this heart, this heart of love, this heart of repentance, this heart of forgiveness, this heart of embrace to the world around us. Um, for example, when it comes to like racial divides, you know, we see around us, we recognize that we all have a tendency, racist tendencies in our own hearts. We all do, you know, and be- because we all grew up in, in, a, in a society with lots of fear-driven messages. So there's a lot of things in our hearts that we need to repent of. Um, quick story, I grew up in the 
80s and 90s in Los Angeles, and there was a lot of um, tension back then, and there still is, but back then it was heightened by um, and between the black community and the Korean community. And it was this climax in what was came to be known as the Rodney King riots. And growing up, in that, and my parents, you know, they did own a business that was kind of, uh, that was, I guess, affected by all that in the, in the city of L.A., and growing up in that and hearing so many, so many stereotypes, so many images and so many, so many language and fear-driven language growing up as a child in that kind of era, um, I realized that there's so much things in my own heart that I need to repent of when I, when it comes to how I relate to people who are not like me, especially the black community, because the, the, of the, of the so many fear-driven messages that were put into my heart. And so, it hit a climax in, um, in right after college when I realized that there were so much things buried in my heart that needs to be healed, healed of um, because of the background and the way, the place I grew up in. Um, and so um, God challenged me of this, and so I started seeking healing in this area. And so the, I felt like the best thing... Best, oh, I'll just leave it. I felt like the best thing to do for me was go to a church that was under and put myself under black um, pastor's leadership. That's the best thing for me to do because I, I, I needed to put myself in a place where I needed to learn about these kind of issues and see where I have been. Um, I needed places of repentance. So, you know, there's racial divides. There's also other kinds of divides, social economic divides. There's so many different divides in our culture. And you know, we need to, as Christians, we look into our hearts and see places where we need to repent and also extend forgiveness. And I feel like that can lead to embrace. And that's the kind of heart that I feel like God is challenging us because there's so many different divides in our culture. And instead of focusing on who's right and who's wrong, there are there is right and wrong, there is truth, but if we just focus, focus on that, if we, if we put ourselves just in the, in the language of right and wrong, um, then we have the, I guess there's a tendency for us to come off and be like Pharisees. So what is more important is our heart, a heart of repentance, a heart of forgiveness, or a heart of embrace. Um, things, when it comes to things like, you know, the, all these different divides in our society. And, and this, this, you know, all that kind of stuff has, has to do with label. So, one last story. I was I was thinking about this as I was walking to, to to um to the car. I, I was just in Manhattan. And I was gonna go to the car to drive here. Um, I passed by, and I was, as I was walking, I was passed by this guy who uh, was a, vet, a veteran, and you know we we meet a veteran who was asking for money, and um, and I just I was like, oh no no no. I mean, I obviously did have money, but I remember at that time so many different labels flew through my mind about what that person could be like or what, what might happen. So, so many different way, labels started filling my mind. And what I lost glimpse was that I was, uh, what I glimpsed was, lost glimpse of was the image of God that is in him because he's a, God created him. The image of God in every single person that we see around us. And when we put labels onto people, it dehumanizes them and strips them of the image of God that is within them. 
So I just challenge us and just encourage us so as we think about the different uh, ways in which as, as we as Christians can be a light into society around us to break down these labels and to enter with repentance, forgiveness, and embrace. Um, and I believe that as we think about this as from, a, from a family, from a church, and from a larger society level, that this really does bring healing to us, to our churches, to our society, because this is how God heals us. This is how God heals us. The cross is at the center. And the cross, you see at the cross, repentance, forgiveness, embrace. And this is the way that God intends to bring healing in us and through us to the world around us in all of our relationships. Um, let's pray. <coughs> Grateful to you, first of all, for your love for us, your embrace of us. It's so awesome that you see us so precious, so worthy of you embrace, even though we are unworthy. You just embrace us. Thank you for that. Help us, give us power by your spirit to extend that to those around us, especially to those immediately around us, but also to our neighbors and also to our society. To be trans, you know, to be agents of your love to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.